Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with whom she had worked and said, the, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, 
gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, I have a question for the kids in the room. I also have a picture for you, and I need you to tell me how many chickens do you see in this picture? Anybody got an answer? One, two, three. You look really, really close. There are three chickens in this picture. One mama and two little chicks. Mama hens do this to keep their little ones away from other mean chickens in the cold weather too. I'm talking to the experts right here in front of me. But did you know that God compares himself to a mama hen? Why, why would he call himself a mama hen? He doesn't actually have wings, but he says that he takes his children and brings them close just like a mama hen. He is a safe place for them, and they are protected there. We're going to talk more about what that means, but for now, think about that. How is God like this mama hen? In our story of Ruth, we left off last week wondering whether or not bitter Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth would experience God taking them under his wing to protect them. And is this our experience too? Is God someone we can trust? And how does one take refuge underneath his wings? As we've watched Ruth and Naomi thus far, we've seen their sorrows along with this spiritually desolate time in the time of the judges. But last week, we we caught this little glimmer of hope. They've come to Bethlehem right on the verge of the barley harvest, food, for those scared away by famine. This might solve their temporary problems, but the biggest problem in the book of Ruth is a combination of there being no king in Israel and Naomi's life being empty with no descendants for Elimelech, her husband. So they need more than just food. Chapter 2 is where we start to see God spread his wings wide and start to gather Ruth and Naomi under them, proving that God has not forgotten or abandoned them. In that process, we're meant to see how it is that we come up under those wings of refuge ourselves. First, though, we have to get into Ruth and Naomi's shoes. So they need to get some food, which is not guaranteed because they don't own any of these crops. If they go and pick through the leftovers in the field, they might be attacked or mistreated as widows. So there's that. Then there's that reality that Elimelech's family line ends with them, which is a big deal for an Israelite. It was of utmost importance to have descendants who would inhabit Yahweh's land as an inheritance. So they need some honorable way to continue the family line. Ruth could marry someone. But if it was just anyone, then she would be absorbed into Joe Schmo's family line. 
That would do nothing for Elimelech. It had to be a family member. But even if she found a relative, would he be willing or available to marry and thus provide for her and protect her? And more than that, would he be willing to marry a despised foreign Moabite? I mentioned two weeks ago that the book of Ruth is a bottleneck where the chances are so slim that only God could remedy the situation. No food, no heirs, no husband, no king in Israel. How in the world is God going to work this one out? Many of you, you know the story and how God uses one man to reverse it all for Naomi, but is our story any different? God stepping in and supplying one man who would rescue us. That's the one point I have for you this morning. God has given you the ideal redeemer who is God's wings of refuge. God has given you the ideal redeemer who is currently God's wings of refuge for you. You may remember these events or have seen a recent documentary on them, but in June, three years ago, I wasn't, I wasn't aware, this is not that long ago, three years ago is not that long ago, but I wasn't aware of the actual events. I was exposed to this through a documentary. A cohort of 12 boys and their soccer coach visited a cave on their way home from soccer practice. The Tam Luang Nang Nang Cave in Thailand several miles of a main cave system with its cavernous chambers and tight passageways. These boys explored the site just as the monsoon season was arriving, and before long, they found that the rain poured down, causing the cave's river to rise. Groundwater also gushed through the porous limestone walls of the cavern to the point where the cave was completely flooded and they were trapped inside. Not only were they trapped, they were trapped two and a half miles from the cave entrance. And the monsoon season of Thailand lasts for months. Thankfully, the boys ended up in one cave chamber that had air. But after two weeks, their air supply was dwindling. During those days, the Thai government, along with Countless volunteers from other countries, including U.S. troops, rallied to the cave, and they tried everything. They pumped millions of gallons of water out of the cave, but that hardly made a dent in the monsoon rains, dumping endless water on the area. The Thai Navy SEALs used divers who attempted to reach the boys to no avail, even with their expertise and fitness and training. There were only a few people in the world equipped to conduct this rescue, and those were cave divers, two of which came from the UK. These were the only rescuers in a crowd of skilled people who were able to dive for miles and several hours even to locate the boys, much less devise and execute a plan to rescue them, which they did, completing it on the 16th day. In the story of Ruth, there is only one person, it seems, in the whole country of Israel who is qualified and equipped to rescue Ruth and Naomi. And he is mercifully put in Ruth's path by God himself. 
You find it right there in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Right from the start, we're introduced to a man named Boaz, and we're told two things. He's a relative, and that means there's hope for Naomi. He's a relative, but what kind of man is he? Is he like the rest of Israel right now? Is he a jerk? Is he someone who worships Yahweh, or is he godless? Does he do what is right in his own eyes, like the rest of the nation? The chances of that are really high. It would be a needle in a haystack, and it is. But Scripture tells us that he is surprisingly a worthy man. It's as if it's saying Boaz equals worthy man. That means he is upright and a man of noble character. He worships the God of Israel and he is respected by others. The rest of the chapter just unfolds that for us. Ruth takes it upon herself to risk her safety to go get some food for her and Naomi. And all she can do is hope that she'll come upon a field of a man like Boaz. God's law for God's people in Leviticus says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. God cares very much about the poor. And it's proven in the fact that he required Israel to leave some leftovers for the poor and the sojourner, like Ruth, to be able to have something to eat. That's good news for Ruth. However, if she found herself in the wrong field, the people who did what was right in their own eyes could at best leave nothing for her, or at worst, take advantage of her. She was not safe in just any field. She hopes that she lands in a good spot. She goes out to the field, and verse 3 says, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Limelech, the man who was told to us was a relative and a worthy man. So you mean to tell me that all in all the fields of Bethlehem, she happened to come upon the field of this worthy man who was also a relative of Elimelech? The author is pulling our leg in the best way. If I were this author, I would probably be snickering as I wrote. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Because the point is that nothing in our world just happens. Remember last week, our world and everything that goes on in it is the product of intentional acts of an infinitely wise God. And our attention is drawn to him here. Is chance responsible? Friends, there is no such thing as chance. Luck is not a part of the sovereign God's equation. The God whom Naomi thought was against her has brought her daughter-in-law into the field of the one man who will do something about their situation. But again, it's not a given yet. We need to see how Boaz responds to Ruth to see whether or not this will play out in her favor. We're encouraged along the way because Boaz comes and greets his workers saying, the Lord be with you. And they bless him back 
He really is a worthy man. He's obviously not a harsh master. His workers respect him. Then he notices someone in the field that he doesn't recognize. Now, you've probably heard the story of Ruth told in such a way where this is described as love at first sight for Boaz. But we don't have anything that hints that that's the case. It actually helps us to see Boaz as someone who genuinely cares about other people rather than just a hopeless romantic. The reason why I say that is Boaz doesn't seem to be the what's-in-it-for-me kind of person. He's not going to just help Ruth out so he can sweep her off her feet. He's someone who's interested in displaying the generous love of God even to this Moabite woman whom he finds out has been working in his field all day. His character shows all the more clear as he approaches, to her, uh, approaches her. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young man not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Imagine Ruth's uncertainty all day. Is she in a friendly field? Is she safe? Is she going to get enough grain to make one meal, much less slowly gather enough to live off of with regularity? Imagine hearing Boaz's words. Don't go elsewhere. This is where you're safe. In fact, I've personally told these men not to touch you. Stay close and you'll have what you need. What a relief and a comfort for Ruth. In fact, it's overwhelming for her. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz isn't the only admirable person here, which we'll see a bit more next week. But for now, he has heard of Ruth's selflessness, her loyalty, her hard work even. Boaz wants to see her blessed and rewarded by God, the God of Israel, under whose wings this former idol worshiper has taken refuge. Make no mistake, Ruth's decision to come to Bethlehem, her risk-taking and going out into the fields are acts of faith in, in, in a God whom she has chosen to worship. And here, that same God is providing her with refuge. If you've been following along with our Advent devotional, I, I found this week helpful where it mentions the question that Ruth asks is so clearly our question as well. Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. Ephesians calls us exactly that. 
We were separated from Christ, strangers of the covenant, without God, alienated from God's people. That's who we were. And yet God has looked upon us with favor, like an out-of-place foreigner in a field. Why? Why have you taken notice of me? Why have you shown me favor? What is still more amazing about this is that Boaz is saying that Ruth is taking refuge under God's wings. But how is Ruth doing that? Like we said earlier, God doesn't have actual wings. You see, Boaz himself is acting like the refuge of God, and Ruth has placed herself under Boaz's merciful care. Boaz is a reflection of God's covenant love to her, love that refuses to ignore or mistreat her, love that notices the outcast and brings them in. Here's how God uses this picture of wings of refuge in a couple of places in the Psalms. First, Psalm 91, 1 through 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. I didn't know exactly what a shield and buckler was. It's just a shield and it's arm straps. But God's faithfulness is like a shield that I strap on for protection from, for example, the lies of the evil one. His faithfulness to his word, to his promises, it's like a shield for me. Psalm 57.1 says something similar. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. God is a person in whom you can take refuge, like refugees in need of a home or chicks in need of cover. We run to those wings when the storms of destruction come. We don't run away. You may have something you run to that's not true rest and true protection for your soul. Instead, we run to a person who is faithful and who is trustworthy. And that's what Ruth is doing. Ruth has found refuge in God by coming under the man who seems to be the one person in Bethlehem who could restore her and Naomi. But Boaz doesn't stop there. Boaz is a picture of the overflowing, generous love of God. Comes to be mealtime. And at mealtime, Boaz says to Ruth, come, come here and eat some bread and drip, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Not only are you safe in my field, not only are you allowed to glean here, but come and eat a real meal. Here you can share in my portion. Have your fill and I'll send you home with the leftovers. 
And behind Ruth's back, Boaz tells his workers to not just leave her at the fringes of the field, but to come where the fresh cut stuff was that she can pull from. Doesn't it seem extreme or over the top? But doesn't it also, Boaz's dealings with Ruth seem like they resemble God's generous love towards us? Come, eat. Come, who, me? You want what for me? You mean you want me here and you're giving me all this? Boaz is a living example of how God has treated us and it's more than we could imagine such that we are invited to God's table such that you and me have been put in a place where we're just receiving and receiving and receiving every spiritual blessing which is in Christ Jesus. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, future hope, a place prepared for us the Holy Spirit sent to us, fellowship with God, and more and more and more. Can we just say this morning that in spite of the bitterness you're walking through, there's no person more generous to undeserving people than God. Who are we, guys? Who are we to be welcomed by God? Who are we to be brought under his wings of refuge and protection? Let me take a few moments to address the men in the room. Ladies, don't worry. There will be a chance for us to look at true womanhood next week. But for now, you guys, whether you're 8 or 38 or 88, look at Ruth 2 and see Boaz. Boaz is not just a good dude. And this is not just, here's a guide on how to be a good dude. Men, Look at Boaz's character. Better yet, look at Boaz and see a snapshot. A snapshot that Jesus would turn into a 4K movie. In that display, you'll see an outline of who you were made to be as a godly man. What do you find? What are some things that you see right now? Just shout some some things out that you see of Boaz's character. What's he like? He's kind. So generous. Yeah. What's that, Chris? He's a protector. He takes notice of the outcast. He does what is necessary and then some. He protects, like Chris said. He blesses. He speaks kindly, like Dan said. He's generous, like Tom said. He comforts. He acts as God's wings of refuge. He welcomes. That's exactly what Jesus looks like. And in following Jesus, that's what all of us are to do, not just as men, I'll broaden it out to, to all of us as Christians, men and women alike, are we not meant to imitate Jesus' love for those who this world will happily overlook? Are we not meant to take that person and gather them in like God gathers in his children like a mother hen, to be generous and to prove that God's love is lavish and excessive? May we be marked by that. Back to, the, back to you guys specifically. How are, you, how are you doing with this? Can what is said of Boaz be said of you? Now there's grace for our failures and we'd be wrong to say that there are not so many. I thank God for that. I thank God for his grace. Or God would have sent me away a long time ago. But with 
that grace motivating us. Let's seek to be not just men like Boaz, but men like Christ. Men whose words and disposition and heart to our wives and our kids and our friends and even to strangers bring comfort like they did to Ruth. Men who don't just do the bare minimum to help, but who put on a show of godlike generosity. Men who take notice of those who are hurting. Men who aren't self-interested. That's bound to stick out like a sore thumb. Men who look out for the disadvantaged or outcast person, whether male or female, old or young, Southeast Asian or Eastern European, liberal or conservative, sober or drunk, sick or healthy, able to repay you, but especially those not able, Christian or or not, friend or foe. May it be said of the men of Sovereign Grace Church, Dayton, you were like God's wings of refuge to me, to my family, to my kids, to your own family, to this church family. May your own roommates and families be able to say that, Dad, Granddad, Big Brother, Little Brother, Hubby, Son, you have been like God's wings of refuge to me. If you are Christ's, that's what you're made for, guys. And to so many of you, I can say personally how this has been true, how it has been true, how I myself have found or witnessed you being God's wings of refuge, God's love in action. God can fashion you into a man that looks like Boaz. And you know how we know? Because he has predestined you to be conformed into the image of his son. He has planned ahead of time for you to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what you got going for you. So let's get after it, guys. And let's not settle for anything less. So it says, Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which is a load. Her hands were full, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she, what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi is flabbergasted. Of all the things that could have happened that day, this is what happened? Where on earth did you glean today, Ruth? How can this be? After Ruth name drops Boaz, Naomi's whole countenance changes. Oh, it was Boaz. Suddenly, Naomi realizes that God hasn't forsaken her, nor her family, because Boaz is the ideal man for the help that they truly need. In fact, he's the missing piece that will yield both a king for Israel and a savior for the world. 
Naomi says that he is one of their redeemers. I'll save some of the explanation for later, but here's, here's the gist of what Naomi is saying. She's saying, here's someone who can do something about our situation. Like the Thai Navy SEALs who tried and tried and tried to get to these boys two and a half miles away through a flooded cave. The cave divers arrive on the scene with the right equipment and the right skills to carry out the rescue. In the same way, angels explode on the scene to announce the coming of Jesus. And in effect, what they say carries the same sense that here's someone who can do something about your situation. Someone specially qualified to carry out an impossible rescue. Sometimes this fact gets, gets away from us. Let me remind you this morning that Jesus is the only person that can save you from your sins, your spiritual poverty, your trajectory towards the wrath of God for your rebellion. Jesus is the only one. He is the only one qualified as the sin bearer and the only person who is fully God and fully man. Had God not sent him, Friends, think about that this morning. What if God never sent Jesus to us? Think of it as a sort of anti-Christmas for a moment. What if Ruth came upon a different field and her and Naomi's hopes were ruined? What if Boaz was not an upright man? What if God never sent us the proper rescuer? We certainly wouldn't be doing this this morning. We certainly would not have a lick of hope for our sin-stained lives. There would be no hope, just thick despair. No eternal safety, just eternal fire. Church, let the good news ring in our hearts this year, maybe for the first time, cutting through all the noise, this God has given us the ideal Redeemer who is God's wings of refuge. God has given him to us. God has supplied us with the ideal Redeemer who wasn't just God's wings of refuge to us one day when we heard the good news and believed, but who is still. Christmas is not just an announcement. It is an invitation. Come, Take refuge under my wings, God says. I have sent you a redeemer. Like the shepherds who make their way to come and catch a glimpse and look inside the manger, come under wings that are visible to you in a man who spread his arms wide on a tree for us. Come under his protection, his provision, his righteousness that was perfect and acceptable to God the Father. His mercy, and like I said, not just once, over and over, day in and day out, come under his sustaining supply of grace in your difficulty right now. His mercy that are fresh every morning. His promise of life forever with him. His joy even in the midst of sorrow. His comfort. His Holy Spirit who is your helper. Come under his wings. Live your life in his field like Ruth did. Come and hide. Find shelter. Find the salvation that you have needed all your life and can only have in him. This is for all of us, folks. Come and take refuge. I love when 
the Psalms say God is a refuge for us. That's a fact. He is a refuge for you and I. And I I pray that God proves himself in that way to you. That he proves himself as a very real refuge. Psalm 46 says, God is a very present help in time of trouble. He is a refuge for us. His response, like Boaz's, when we come to him, is overwhelming generosity, welcoming arms for receiving the undeserved gift of a specialized Savior. Somewhere in the recesses of my memory this week came the words of a Keith Green song. Pastor Steve would appreciate any Keith Green reference that you can make, but some of you might also remember these two lines. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. And church, we rejoice this morning because we have a Redeemer, and He is God's very own Son. Maybe it just so happened that you heard about him and believed, to which we just laugh. Oh no, God has brought him to us and given us eyes to see him and trust him. And that's why we continually take refuge in him. God has made it such that we have heard about this redeemer and we have taken refuge in him. It's hard to make the jump from Christmas to the cross. An innocent baby to the innocent man bleeding. But we come to the Lord's Supper to see that fuller picture, to see the terminus, to see where this story ends, where even the story of Ruth and Boaz is leading us to. You know the saying, from cradle to cross, This is how God's wings of refuge are shown to us. And maybe you believe Jesus came. You know what Christmas is about, but that's all. If you haven't trusted in Christ, dying for your sins, rising from the dead and ascending into heaven, we ask that you don't partake in this meal. What we do long for is that you would believe in Jesus and give your life to him, that you would come under his wings of refuge. We'd love to talk to you more about what all this means, but in the meantime, please stay in your seats. Otherwise, those who have trusted in Christ, we invite you to just join in this meal and celebrate that Jesus finished what he came to do, which was to give his life as a ransom for many.